Hey listeners, we have a very rare opening for an associate sound designer mixer here at DeFacto Sound. That's my sound design studio and the studio behind 20,000 Hertz. To learn more, visit jobs.defactosound.com. This application window closes on May 22nd. Now, onto the show. You're listening to 20,000 Hertz. Sound is used for so many different things in our lives. Alarms get our attention. Notification sounds help us navigate. And music can relax us or hype us up. Sound can also be used as peak comedy. Yep, farts. And even the word fart is funny. It almost feels like a curse word. Fart, 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 fart. And all the derivatives of the word fart are funny too. Toot, blurt, cutting the cheese, passing gas, trouser cough, letting one rip, stepped on a duck, stepped on a frog, barking spider, backend blowout, butt bazooka, booty bomb. I could keep going, but I think you get the point. There's something fascinating about the fart sound. And there's probably no better example of this than the simple whoopee cushion. You know, that's the pink rubber cushion that you fill with air, then sneak onto someone's chair when they aren't looking. And then when they sit down... While kitschy prank gags come and go, the whoopee cushion has stood the test of time. This story is brought to you by a podcast called Brought to You By. A warning though, there are a lot of fart jokes ahead. Oh my gosh, we have a giant pencil, which is huge. Marty Tim is a novelty collector in Wisconsin. A giant rabbit's foot and a super colossal jumble olive. Her house is packed with boxes filled to the brim with every novelty item you can imagine. That's brought to you by his host, Charlie Herman. One of my favorite items in the collection, one of my absolute favorites, is it's a comb. And what it does is it puts dandruff in your hair. It's awesome. For the past 35 years, she and her husband Stan have built up this treasure trove of gadgets. We have ant farms. And gizmos. We have costumes. And toys. Everyone has heard of Yakety Yak, the chattering teeth. And magic tricks. The x-ray glasses that uh, supposedly you can put those glasses on and look at your hand and see your bones. Doesn't work, but they're there. Today, they have about 1,800 items in their collection. And for Marty, these aren't just old knickknacks. They're artifacts. It's Americana. It's really a history of the growth and the changes of the people of America. It's popular culture. She and Stan don't just collect these things. They try and uncover the history behind them. And one of their most prized possessions is, you guessed it. So this is the original whoopee cushion. And the original whoopee cushion is a lovely little thing. It's from 1932. When Marty and Stan spotted this cushion on eBay, they were willing to wager $94 on it. But much to their surprise, there were no other bidders. And we got that whoopee cushion for $5. And when you got it and it arrived at your home, I mean... We did a happy dance. It was, it was the coolest thing ever. We just couldn't believe it. Now, you couldn't use it because it was too old, but it's original. It's just beautiful. I have to say, beauty is not the first word that comes to mind when I think of a whoopee cushion. But to hear Marty talk about it, you would think she's describing a Picasso. It's interesting. The green is like army green. And it has um, a, a scalloped edge, like if you used pinking shears. And like any good work of art, to truly understand the whoopee cushion, you have to look back at many historical and cultural influences that led to its creation. 
It took hundreds of years of history to get that whoopee cushion onto the chairs of unsuspecting teachers and old maid ants across the United States. And it starts, of course, with the noise itself. An archaeologist actually found the earliest joke from the Babylonian period, and it was a fart joke. That's Jim Dawson. He considers himself a fartologist because of three books he's written. The first one was Who Cut the Cheese? A Cultural History of the Fart. The second one was Blame It on the Dog, A Modern History of the Fart. And then Did Somebody Step on a Duck? A Natural History of the Fart. Dawson told me that flatulence has a rich and storied history. People have been talking about farts for ages. I'm talking everyone from first century authors, Josephus, who was a Jewish Roman writer, to prize playwrights, Shakespeare, to the father of English literature, Chaucer's The Canterbury Tales. Mark Twain wrote a satirical play called 1601 based on an elaborate fart joke. And Joseph Pujol, Paris's top entertainer in the 1890s, brought flatulence to the masses. He was able to control his stomach in a way that he could suck air in through his anus and then blow it back out again. And he had such control and he would do imitations. And apparently people would be rolling in laughter at the Moulin Rouge where he performed. The whoopee cushion itself dates back centuries as well. Legend has it that an ancient Roman emperor, Elagabalus, was a big fan of using proto-whoopee cushions at dinner parties. By the Middle Ages, it was looking closer to a whoopee cushion you'd recognize. The old jokers, the court jesters, would come up with the lowest forms of humor to make the king and the queen and their court laugh. And one would be like the pig bladder, full of air, and then you can control the air coming out of it and make all these funny sounds. And that's really where the idea came from. But it wasn't until the 1920s that the commercial whoopee cushion you know today hit the shelves. For that, you can thank the Canadian rubber company, Gem. Again, novelty collector, Marty Tim. The claim to fame that they had, the Gem rubber company, was this valve that they created that allowed the whole mechanism to work. So you blow it up and the valve stops the air from coming back out again. So then it expands. And then when you sit on it, it makes that wonderful noise. The Canadian rubber company approached a couple of American novelty companies about selling the cushion in the US. And the one that smelled a hit was Johnson Smith. Now, Johnson Smith made some of its own products, but it was most famous for its enormous catalog. It was like the Sears catalog of novelty toys. Seriously, it's been called the Rosetta Stone of American culture. These catalogs were actually what got Marty and her husband into novelty collecting in the first place. They have an almost complete collection of catalogs from 1914 through the 1950s. And that includes one of the company's biggest ever, the one from 1932 that broadcast the Whoopi Cushion's U.S. debut. Here's what it says. The Whoopi Cushion is made of rubber. It is inflated. Except for the color, which went from military green to the bubblegum pink you know today, the whoopee cushion really hasn't changed much over the years. When the victim unsuspectingly sits upon the cushion, it gives forth the most indescribable noises. Made in two. The whoopee cushion was sold under a handful of nonsensical names at first. Everything from the poo poo pillow to the boop boop doop, a fan favorite here at Brought to You By. But one name stuck. Again, fartologist Jim Dawson. The big word in this country was whoopee. 
And there was a big play on Broadway called uh, Whoopi, and uh, Eddie Cantor had a huge hit, Making uh, Whoopi. Another reason for making Whoopi. Whoopi epitomized the 1920s, and papers across the continent wrote about the rise of this new hot slang. You know, Whoopi! Whoopi. As the Roaring Twenties crashed into the Great Depression, people wanted to hold on to the spirit of Whoopi. So when Johnson Smith started selling a Whoopi cushion, this silly prank product took off. What they offered people was humor. And the Whoopi cushion and a lot of the novelties and pranks and jokes that they had offered people some levity and a way to get away from the seriousness of what was going on around them. Johnson Smith had a captive audience that was hungry for its products. But there's a reason you know the name Whoopi Cushion and not the name of the companies that sold it. The Whoopi Cushion was a hit, but it would also become a case study into the unique and sometimes shady novelty business. We'll hear all about that, plus why exactly people find Whoopi Cushions so funny. After the break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Indeed finds highly qualified candidates for any job as quickly as possible. That means when you've got a major deadline and need to hire right now, Indeed lets you relax. So how does it work? First, Indeed has 350 million regular visitors each month. In other words, you have a huge group of talented people to choose from. Then, Indeed's AI-powered matching technology helps you pick out the right person for you. It's like searching for a needle in a huge haystack. But with a giant Indeed-shaped magnet. And in an Indeed survey, 93% of those businesses said Indeed delivered the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Our listeners can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Hertz. Just go to Indeed.com slash Hertz right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash H-E-R-T-Z. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. While the whoopee cushions we're familiar with didn't appear until the 20th century, fart gags have been around for literally thousands of years. It's pretty impressive that something so simple has remained funny to people for this long. Here's Charlie again. Before we go any further, I want to take a second and talk about why whoopee cushions are funny in the first place. I mean, they are funny. It's just a scientific fact. 
At least that's according to this guy. I'm Trevor Cox. I'm professor of acoustic engineering at the University of Salford in England. In 2009, Cox embarked on a unique course of research as part of a fundraising campaign for the organization Comic Relief. That work was to systematically test what makes the funniest whoopee cushion sound. First of all, we needed a range of whoopee cushion sounds to test. So I, I sent off a very experienced researcher with a recording system and said, see how many sounds you can make out of this whoopee cushion. And he came back with this huge cornucopia of recordings. You couldn't quite believe the range of sounds you could make, but if you give it to a really good acoustician, they can make some really strange sounds. <laughs> By the way, these are actual sounds from his study. How can anyone actually take notes while they're laughing? <laughs> okay, Charlie, compose yourself. So Cox and his team reviewed this library of noise that they'd created. They ran statistical tests to determine which noises were the most different. Then they uploaded them onto a website and asked people to rate them on a scale of one to six, or no smile to big open mouth grin. And we got a really large number of people. I think we ended up with hundreds of thousands of ratings and about 70,000 people did this experiment. So it was, it was big data. When they crunched the numbers, they found a few takeaways. If you're like most people, then this just does not have the same comic effect as I have this graph which shows you know, how funny it is versus time. And clearly, as the whoopee cushion sounds get longer and longer, they get funnier. So maybe if you're sitting down on a whoopee cushion, you should do it quite slowly. Just like any good joke, the whoopee cushion abides by the rules of comedy. In comedy, the unexpected is often funny. And so actually the longest whoopee cushion sound we make, it goes on and you think, oh, it's going to stop soon. And it goes on and on and on and on. And it goes on to ridiculous lengths. And that makes it very, very funny. Some sounds were funnier than others. The whinier, the better. Some people were more amused than others. The younger you were, the funnier you found the sounds. And the more sounds you listened to, the funnier you thought they were. If it's a good joke, it gets funnier and funnier, doesn't it? Cox actually didn't mind having to listen through fart sound after fart sound to design his research. Naturally, in acoustics, you spend a lot of time researching noise and how that has a detrimental effect, you know, traffic noise, plane noise, all those sort of things. So it's quite nice to turn it around and think of things, sounds which create joy. And whether you find whoopee cushions funny or not, you know, that sound creates a lot of joy in a lot of people, for better or for worse. And back in the 1930s, it did not take long for companies to catch on to this. Soon after the Whoopee Cushions debut, it was selling like crazy. And one company in particular realized it had made a big mistake. It had the opportunity to be the first to sell the Whoopee Cushion in the US, but it said, no, we'll sit this one out. That company was SS Adams, the guys who pioneered the American novelty industry. Supposedly, it was rejected because the whole concept was said to be in poor taste. Isn't that kind of the point? Kirk Damaris has designed packaging for SS Adams, and he wrote a book about the company's first hundred years. He says it was Samuel Adams, the founder, who passed on the whoopee cushion. It was kind of funny that he would you know, turn his nose up at this thing because he'd already put out like, you know, fake doggy do and things like that. Classy. After Samuel blew off the whoopee cushion, the Canadian rubber company struck a deal with Johnson Smith, the ones with the catalog. However, once the whoopee cushion started selling, Samuel realized his mistake. He supposedly said this bad decision cost him $50,000 in profits in the first year alone, or nearly a million dollars in today's money. Once uh, Samuel noticed the success, he 
produced what's called the raspberry cushion, which is just the exact same thing, really. He was not the only one to make a copy of the whoopee cushion. Knockoffs are extremely common in the novelty industry, and this is probably one of the first times where Adams did the knocking off. Here's the thing about novelty makers. They're jokesters. They're not sitting around talking about how to protect their assets. They're thinking about how they're going to get their next laugh. Samuel said by the time one of our products has been ripped off, it's already passe and it's not really worth, you know, pouring money and time into, you know, any legal entanglements. The legal part of the novelty industry is probably the least interesting part of the novelty industry. This is David Wall, the director of Awesome, a pretty awesome job title if you ask me, for a company called Archie McPhee. It's like a modern-day S.S. Adams. It's much more interesting to talk about unicorns than it is to talk about lawyers. If Wall wanted to talk about patents and trademarks and copyrights all day, he would have become a lawyer. It's not why he got into the novelty joke business. For many in this always innovating, always evolving industry, all that paperwork is a real buzzkill. We put out you know, 150 new products a year. So what we would become is a law firm if we decided we were just all of a sudden going to try and protect every idea that we had from every glimmer of a copy that could possibly come from it. And that's just not our focus. But sometimes you have to talk about lawyers because this is an industry in trouble. The mindset that drives novelty makers, you see it right there in the name, novel. It's all about the next best idea. So you have companies that spend decades investing time and money into making new products, nailing the spring in this snake in a can, or getting the recoil just right on that dollar bill snatcher. But many of these companies do not spend the same resources protecting their rights to those products through, say, patents and trademarks. What that means is many of these companies do not have name recognition, but their great products do. That's why you know the whoopee cushion, but you probably can't name a single company that makes one. And it could be why so many novelty companies and stores have been closing. Today, if you Google whoopee cushion, there isn't just one item that pops up. There are tons and tons of the exact same product, sold under the exact same name, sold by a ton of different businesses. No single company has the patent to exclusively sell whoopee cushions. You know, it's, it's really odd. So we did a search and we couldn't find anything that came up. This is attorney Michael Cohen. No, not the one you're thinking of. This Michael Cohen specializes in intellectual property, things like patents and copyrights. As far as we know, no one put the effort to put a fight up in regards to the ownership of the name. And it just became a generic term. What he means is Whoopi Cushion describes a category of goods, not one product in particular. It's not a brand name. It's like the words automobile or cell phone. Anyone can utilize that term because it simply describes what it is. It's a whoopee cushion. But it did not have to be this way. So in a perfect world, if there was a hypothetical, what should they have done? Patents, for sure. And trademarks, for sure. And possibly even copyrights to some extent. Cohen says the first person to make the whoopee cushion might have been able to protect its shape, appearance, and function using patents, and its name using trademarks. It might have even been able to prevent others from making knockoffs of the product by arguing its shape is what people associate with the brand. It kind of has that iconic shape to it, at least when it's inflated. And so maybe there could have been, there's an argument that there could have been trade dress protection for that. But that's not what happened. 
In the novelty industry, the focus has been more on inventing new things instead of investing in legal protections for old ones. That means sometimes people imitate or plain rip off ideas other people created. It's the nature of this business, though it's not always a bad thing. When it comes to novelty toys and products, there are a few different types of imitation. The first type, the one the industry is built to support, let's call it iteration. It's like when someone comes along and says, how about I design a whoopee cushion that inflates on its own? Novelty makers are all for that. David Wall, the director of Awesome, says it's kind of like writing jazz music. You have traditional tunes, and what happens is you put your own spin in that tune and you record it. And I think that having a novelty product that's an echo of another novelty product is good. Making this beautiful new music out of a reflection of what someone else has done is, you know, that's what creativity is. Using better rubber or developing a new valve that releases the air to make a new symphonic whoopee cushion melody, that's all fair game. But problems come up when you get to the second type of imitation. That's when other companies start straight up ripping off your song. There are companies that exist only as a shadow of other companies. They just copy what other companies do as soon as they see what's popular. And when another company comes along and starts selling your exact same product, if you haven't legally protected it, there's not much you can do. And that matters when a product, like the Whoopi Cushion, becomes a household name, but the company that created it is not. It obviously affects our sales, and there is customer confusion, which is the worst part about it. There's one other kind of imitation, and it is bad news for the entire novelty industry. That's when other companies don't just steal your idea and your customers and then make money. It's when their product is a cheap knockoff and even ruins the joke. Wall has seen this happen with the razor blade through the thumb trick, a classic. I saw one not too long ago that uh, wouldn't even fit on my pinky in the shape of a thumb because it was so small and it had no blood on it and it was just, you know, a gray razor sticking in the side of a little tiny thumb finger. So it takes away what the original object was until it just becomes this, uh, you know, it's like a Xerox copy of a Xerox copy of a Xerox copy. It renders the product useless. This again is Kirk Damaris. He studied how novelty items are sold, and he says this phenomenon, what's called quality fade, has actually hurt novelty companies across the country. I think over time, they became associated with cheap junk. I mean, if you go back to the dawn of the prank novelty industry, a lot of that stuff you know, was made of metal and made of higher quality materials. As low-quality imitations began to flood the market, it got harder and harder for consumers to tell the difference between the well-made, say, whoopee cushion and some cheapo whoopee cushion. People don't really know which brands of novelty products are better than others, which ones they prefer, like their favorite shampoo or peanut butter. If you want to buy a whoopee cushion, you don't care if it's made by Jim Rubber Company or Johnson Smith or S.S. Adams. Novelty companies know this, and it's reflected in how they advertise. I think they were selling an experience, and they are selling this moment of astonishment when it comes to magic tricks, or this moment of humiliation when it comes to pranks. The way that so many prank and novelty items were sold took the brand name out of the equation. So when someone buys a dinky, unconvincing razor blade through the thumb from one company, or a cheaply made whoopee cushion from another, it hurts every company selling the same prank. This reality, along with a focus on innovations instead of legal protections, 
means that in the end, the novelty toy business is struggling. After the 80s, even the shops, standalone novelty shops and joke shops, they started closing down, and now they're almost non-existent. S.S. Adams, the company that spearheaded the American novelty industry, was sold to an online store in 2009. And at the end of 2019, Johnson Smith, the company that put the whoopee cushion on the map in the U.S., it shuttered its doors after 105 years. Which I have to tell you makes me incredibly sad. Again, novelty collector Marty Tim. Because they've been a part of my life for 35 years. And I feel like I've just lost an old friend. After all those years of collecting, Marty and her husband are selling their collection. She hopes they'll find a new home for it in one piece, so it doesn't just become a hodgepodge of stuff, because she believes there's something to be learned from all those toys and pranks and jokes. People have a natural funny bone, and um, they need a release of some sort to just not look at life so seriously. To be honest, before we started working on the story, I hadn't really thought about the whoopee cushion in a while. But I could immediately picture one, round, pink, scalloped edges. And I thought, who would be the perfect person I could use that on today? Because I'd like to think, no matter how old you are or how sophisticated you think you are, there are some practical jokes that, if done right, are always funny. But to confirm this, I decided to check with some experts. My name is Oscar. I'm in fifth grade and I'm 11. My name is Chris. My name's Cammie. Luke. Joshua. David. My name is Nate. I'm in fifth grade and I'm 10 years old. The fart is funny because of the sound. They're funny and stinky and sometimes loud. And they're kind of inappropriate. They come from a silly part of your body. I've actually thought of them more as human nature as I've gotten older, but I still think that they're funny. In movies, like comedic movies, when there's like tense moments, it just relieves the tensity. It's probably the most funniest at the most unexpecting moment. When I was in class, this one kid, he sneezed and farted at the same time, interrupting my Spanish teacher, and the whole class started laughing. Just a little <laughs> is considered comedy these days, I guess. Did you ever have a whoopee cushion? I did, I had several. Who did you use the whoopee cushion on the most? Uh, my sister. I would always like put it under her seat at the dinner table. I don't like wimpy cushions because, like, they're not real. I never got a good laugh out of it because I never put it in the right place. It, you can prank people by thinking they farted and say, other people saying you, but they're like, I didn't fart. When people laugh at farts, they're not actually laughing at you. You, you shouldn't be embarrassed because it's kind of like a funny thing. Farts. You can't not like them. Let's hope this generation knows a good practical joke. Not just for the novelty industry, but for all of us. Because say what you will about fart jokes, they have a way of deflating egos. They let out the air of our pretensions and show us we're all human. And sometimes, we all need that breath of fresh air. This story came from the wonderful podcast brought to you by... It's a show about how the biggest household name brands have shaped our lives and culture. 
for better and for worse. Make sure to listen and subscribe right here in your podcast player. 20,000 Hertz is produced out of the sound design studios of DeFacto Sound. Find out more at defactosound.com. This story was produced by Julia Press, Sarah Wyman, and Charlie Herman. Special thanks to Claire Banderas and Michael Nowak from Rhode Island Novelties. Thanks also to Josh and Steven's dad, Nate's dad, Cammie's mom, Luke's mom and dad, Chris's dad, and Oscar's mom. It was sound engineered by Bill Moss with music from Audio Network. Brought to you by theme song was composed by John Delore and Casey Halford. Their editor is Michaela Bly. Sarah Wyman is their showrunner. Brought to you by is a production of Insider Audio. You can find us, 20,000 Hertz, on Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. You can also see what's happening behind the scenes by following DeFacto Sound on Instagram. And finally, if you're in education, whether you're a teacher or a professor or whatever, please feel free to use 20,000 Hertz in your classrooms. I love hearing from teachers who've used the show in their lessons. Thanks for listening. 